the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, we are so pleased to have you join us. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Uh, Carol is a nationally recognized gerontologist, named one of the nation's top 50 influencers in aging by Next Avenue. She holds a master's degree in social gerontology and has been involved in the field of aging for some 30 years. Carol's executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And Carol, it is always neat and a happy time to have you on. And speaking of happy, you were... Looking forward to talking to our guest again. I am happy to be talking to Don again. Um, you know, it's an intriguing idea of what makes us happy. Uh, and every, we're all looking for it. We're trying to figure out what it means. And I'm, you know, he's got a handle on it at least. I don't know if he has all the answers, but he's got a little handle on it. Well, we're going to find out in a moment. Dr. Don Lucas is a professor of psychology and the coordinator of the psychology department at Northwest Vista College in San Antonio. He's a fellow of the Southwestern Psychological Association and the Association for Psychological Services. Dr. Lucas, or Dr. Don, as his students call him, is the author of a book, Being Your Happiness, Pleasure, and Contentment, and the author of the modules, The Psychology of Human Sexuality and Human Sexual Anatomy. And Don Lucas, it is great to have you back again on Caregiver SOS On Air. I am so glad to be back. Indeed, we were just chatting before we started here, and I, I can't believe it's almost been a year. Well, tell us about what hooked you on studying happiness. You know, we're, actually, it did not start with me. Um, all of my graduate work was very fundamental to anatomy and physiology. I my, my dissertation was actually over a visual illusion. But once I got into the classroom, one of my students brought this idea up and he asked a real simple question. He, he said, do you think that science can study happiness? And I'll, I'll be honest what my answer was. I said, no, it's too subjective. Science cannot do that. And then within seven years, I had published a book on science studying happiness. What was the turnaround for you? Um, you, you know, the turnaround... What I do with with all my students, I, I teach at a community college, Northwest Vista College here in San Antonio, and uh, community colleges are all about giving students opportunities. And this student was motivated to teach me something, and I said, "You know what? I'm I'm open here. Prove to me that science can do this." And we delved into the research literature at the time, and this is now more than 20 years ago. It was in its uh, infantile state. And there's now literally thousands of research articles 
within the research literature called positive psychology. And what positive psychology is, is the scientist's perspective on what happiness is, what pleasure is, what contentment. And we're not just talking psychologists. Biologists are in th- interested in this. Economists are interested in, in this. Certainly government officials are interested in this. And it's really amazing where this goes. If you want to decrease violence, people who aren't violent are happy people. So it, it's not just about the positive aspects of, of behavior. When you look at the negative aspects of behavior, a lot of those negative aspects is because there's an uh, an absence of positive parts of this individual's life, whether you're talking about emotions or behaviors or cognitions. I've got a good friend, Dr. Barbie Lopez, who's a well-made physician, who, who will tell me and will tell you and has said on the radio that when she was a kid, a teenager and a young college student, she was a very negative person. The glass was always half empty. The sun was never shining. And one day Barbie said to me, you know, I decided that's enough of that. I'm going to be happy. And she turned her life around with that will and conscious effort to be happy. And and that's certainly one aspect of happiness. So so when we look at, at happiness, there's actually a study that I'm, I'm going to Washington, D.C. on Thursday to present on in which my students were interested in trying to find out whether or not the city of San Antonio is happy. And they looked at it from two perspectives. They looked at it from an attitudinal perspective, and they looked at it from a behavioral perspective. Your friend reminds me of looking at happiness from an attitudinal perspective. So part of happiness is how we think. So the the cognitions, um, how we learn our, our attitudes. And you mentioned one of the aspects uh, of what, what my book addresses. What my book addresses is actually shares 10 ingredients that are associated with people who are happy, what the scientific literature has come up with. And one of those ingredients is an attitudinal ingredient called optimism. The more optimistic we are, the more likely we are to be happy. I want to come back to that in a moment. But first, for folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zorniel. We're talking with Dr. Don Lucas. Uh, he writes about, lectures on, and studies happiness. And for those who are optimists, are, are they made that way, born that way, or can you embrace optimism? Yeah, it's a great question. It's another thing that the research literature has been able to answer for us. It seems about 60% of our ability to be happy is from the environment or the fancy word nurture. So things that actually happen to us and about 40% of it is just due to our genetics. So either call up mom and dad and swear at them or or thank them. But the vast majority of, of whether or not we have a smile on our face is based upon what we're doing, but at the same time, what our environment is, is doing to us. So you mentioned 10 ingredients to happiness. Do I have to go out and get those 10 ingredients before I'm going to be happy? Yeah, so what what the research literature does to come up with those ingredients, they actually study people who are happy and then actually find, you know, did these people have it naturally or were they actually going out there and working for it? What, What Ron just mentioned, it sounds like a person who said, you know, I can do something about my life. That is, person is probably there... also recognize, and, and this is a, 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 you know, it's subtle, but it's an, an important point. 
to recognize the things that we're not in control of. So, you know, not not swimming ag- against that current, but swimming with that current if 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 life is is a river. And that's that's the idea of you know, there's a lot of positive people in my life, there's a lot of negative people in my life, and some people eventually make a decision and say, "You know what? I'm not required to be hanging out with the negative people in my life. I'm going to make that decision." That that's within my control. By the way, some of those negative people might be family members. So to to answer your question, some of us are born into negative environments and we're either guilted or feel some, you know, it's it's necessary that I stay with this. Whereas maybe in in Ron's case, the example he gave, this person said, you know, the only way that I am going to be able to be optimistic is to get away from people who are pessimistic around me. How about you? Were you happy? Uh, are you asking, am I happy or was I happy? What did you grow up happy? You know what? Um, I, I'm going to answer that with a hypothetical, but but it's, it's going to be an empirically based hypothetical. This is one of the things, and it's actually, it's a really interesting answer, at least the, the research literature on this. You cannot predict how happy or sad or technically depressed or with anxiety a person has based upon their childhood. So you you would want to say this. You would want to say, oh my gosh, a person who's had traumas during childhood, they are more likely to be sad and depressed than a person who had this wonderfully perfect childhood. No, there's a correlation there, but there's no causation. There's no causation. So when I look in the mirror, yeah, I am a relatively happy person. Is that going to be based upon this idyllic childhood that I'd had. I have a perfect person in my life called my mother. She's my hero. But other than that, I actually didn't have that great of a childhood. Well, I'm curious, is there, of those 10 ingredients, is there anything on that list that would surprise people? Uh, As a joke, marriage. Marriage is on that list. (laughs) People who are married are more likely to be happy than people who are are not married. Uh, But in all seriousness, there's some things on that are not on the list that are not predictive of happiness. Uh, A related point, uh, people with children are are no happier than than people without children. So parenthood does you know the media wants to say that that it it's all positive but uh scientific literature doesn't back that up. Money is on the list but money has uh quickly diminishing returns. Uh the latest economic data uh, relative to positive uh psychology is about $70,000 a year. So after $70,000 a year, you might be a little bit happier, but it doesn't really bring you much. So there's not a lot of statistically significant differences between a single person who's making $70,000 a year and that person making a million dollars a year. And Warren Buffett. What was that? And Warren Buffett. You have right. more money than... <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I'm just glad I can stop trying to be a millionaire. Wow, I've got you just set <laughs> right. the bar way lower. I am feeling happier. So, Don, <laughs> on that list, is there are, are there one or two or three major drivers of happiness? Yeah. So, when you go through this, the number one item, if people are curious, the number one item on the list is is communal relationships. 
And many of the items on the list are associated with social situations. So marriage, uh, obviously being a social situation, communal relationships is number one, friendships in general. And probably not a lot of people know what the word communal means. A, A communal relationship is a relationship in which it is not a relationship based upon reciprocity. So there's certainly giving and taking going on in a communal relationship but it is not driving the relationship. The vast majority of our relationships are reciprocal relationships. Um, You know what? I love you, Ron. You know what? I love you, Carol. But if I didn't decide to show up today at 2.30, you guys probably wouldn't be calling me back six months from now or three (laughs) months from now. It's based upon I've given you something and you've given me something in return. Whereas a communal relationship, regardless of what I've given you, regardless what you've given me, the relationship continues. Um, We typically see these relationships in in loving relationships. We can get away with a lot. Um, Unconditional love is probably a good example of a communal relationship. We're going to come back to you in just a minute. We're talking with Professor Don Lucas. He knows a whole lot about happiness, and we can learn from that as well. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, Ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. So look in a mirror. Are you happy? What do you think about it? We're talking about happiness with Professor Don Lucas on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And Carol, I'm going to flip the baton to you. Well, we, we are on Caregiver SOS on air, and there are a lot of caregivers who probably are out there and not feeling super happy every day. So are there, you know, you've got these ingredients. Are there tricks? Is there a pathway that can lead them out of the stressed out piece, you know, this life that they have to add some happiness in there? Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful question to ask. I mean, the best way I could answer that is certainly relative to the individual. But if I was to talk generically, the very first thing that comes to my mind is being active and being active outside of that situation. So one of the things I talk about in, in, in my class, and it's kind of highbrow, but I I think it's quickly applicable. It's the difference between morals and ethics. Um, Morals are our own judgments of the world and whether or not we see it as being a good thing or a bad thing, where ethics, some organization, some entity outside of us has told us what's a good thing, what's a bad thing. Our religions tell us what is good and what is bad, where now we have to fit into that. So me taking care of my loved ones. My, I have a, a mother and a father who are wonderfully active individuals, but they're in their 80s and 90s. Ethically, I am going to be taking care of them for the rest of their lives. But morally, what am I going to be doing for myself? 
hopefully I recognize that that isn't perfectly the exact same line. I'm going to be doing some things for myself. I'm going to be doing some things for the people I'm going to be taking care of. I think where it becomes really draining is when we become 100% what we're doing for others. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and a lot of caregivers feel guilty when they feel happy, um, as opposed to ensuring that at least once a day, they have some happy thoughts and some happy feelings um, as part of their life. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think you've completely nailed it. And I, I think that's a perfect example of, you know, I'm going to use a, probably people are familiar with the, the idea of a Venn diagram where you have two circles and one circle might define your relationship with who you're taking care of. And the other circle defines you. You don't want those circles to be on top of one another. If they are on top of one another, my goodness, it it is difficult for me to be happy when the person I'm taking care of is sick and always in pain. That's when I really do need time for myself. And don't just say time for myself. It has to be relative to an activity. So this is where I would talk with someone one-on-one and say, tell me what you love. Tell me what you love to do. Well, you know, I used to love to play tennis, but uh, 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 take out the butt. We're going to start getting you to play tennis and we're going to do it proactively on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Yeah, but but no, 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 no. That is where the conversations would start. Well, so with with happiness then, and let's think about the media that surrounds us and and the messages that we're hearing. In any of your studies, have you looked at what we hear in the media or see on social media and our own happiness? Yeah, we're, we're going to need a, a lot more than a half an hour. The, the, <laughs> the media does not do a good job at all at presenting the reality when it comes to happiness, unfortunately. Um, I mean, we, we live, we live in a, in a country that's very much about money and the more money and the more things that you have, the more likely that you're going to put a smile on your face. And that's unfortunately, as I said, not only do we have diminishing returns, but we could do a whole book on, on the relationship between money and happiness. And here's one point I, I think that's significant that, that your, your listeners w- would like to, to know what, what are you doing? with your money is much more predictive of how happy you will be versus how much money you have. And when people are doing with their money for themselves relative to having experiences like travel, travel, okay, that that's actually seems to be associated. We've got quite a bit of data associated with that. But the even bigger one is doing for others. You spending your money on other people is much more likely to have a positive effect on you than spending money on yourself and objects. So I'm making a distinction here. You spending money, if it is for yourself, it's on an experience as compared to an object. There's a phenomenon called the hedonistic treadmill. And what the hedonistic treadmill is, is as soon as I get an object, I'm going to adapt to what that object does for me in as far as positive emotions, the longer I have it, the less it will have a positive effect on me. Whereas in an experience that you do, you'll never be able to adapt to. So those are some things in my, the media doesn't pick up on that. No, the media says, hey, the more objects you have, the more toys you have, the happier you will be. I hear that over and over and over again. 
And there's just simply no data to back that up. And as far as happiness, in, in, in fact, there's going to be a, an opposite effect. And as far as comparing yourself, you know what? He's got a faster car than, than me. You know what? He's got more square footage in his house that, 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 than I do. You know what? Her children are happier than my children. You can never win along those lines. Can other people make you happy? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's really neat data on the physiology of happiness, just looking at your face. So you've got lots of muscles in your face. We'll talk about two of those muscles. You have the zygomatic major muscles that allow you to actually smile. And then you have the orbicularis oculi muscles that actually open up your eyelids. All right. When you go to see a comedian, I will bet you, you will never see a single comedian. You'll see several comedians that are warming up the audience to get to the main comedian. Well, they really are warming up the audience. You know what they're doing? They're warming up the people's faces. The more likely that I'm going to be smiling, the more likely that I'm going to be happier, and the more likely that I'm going to find something to be funny. Surround yourself with people who are happy. Surround yourself with people who are optimistic. Surround yourself with people who aren't saying naysayer, naysayer, naysayer. Surround yourself with people who are laughing. I guarantee that will have a positive effect on who you are. Again, one of the social aspects to this top 10 list in as far as happiness is concerned. The flip side of that, my 11, soon to be 12 year old daughter uh, will often say, so-and-so makes me so angry. And I say to her, no, you make yourself angry. I love it. I love it. I, I love it. And, and, uh, you, you know, my, my daughters are a little bit older, but, but I still had <laughs> a lot of fatherisms when my kids would come up to me and they'd say, I'm bored. I would say to them, yes, you are boring. You are making <laughs> yourself bored because you are disinterested. Make yourself interested in what is in front of you. Now, mind, mind you, that takes a whole bunch <laughs> of energy. Um, reacting to the environment as opposed to being proactive in the environment. And the question is, where are you going to get that activity? And this is one of the things that Carol and I were speaking about literally right at the end of the last time that we were all together is ironically the best way to give yourself energies that go out there and exercise any form of exercise brings you more energy than you will actually be expending and now you can be using that energy in other forms That's for example with your daughter saying you know what i'm not going to let that person bring me down boy that takes a lot of energy for you to be able to do that right right but well I, go ahead i, I was going to say energy and activity and exercise that's the magic bullet. It, it, it really is. And we, we the um, scientists just, just published, actually, I think it was in a gerontology uh, journal. It just came out yesterday on the top eight aspects that are associated with longevity, uh, of which the number one uh, item on that list, even above not smoking, is, is exercising. And, and we funny. know that that's associated now with the decrease of potential for um, all forms of dementia as, as well. To, and, 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 and the levels that we have right now are relatively minimal. I, I would say once a day 
intentional one hour, and I don't care how old you are, you want to talk about positive emotions, that, that's where it's going to be starting, at least from a physiological perspective. Now, we haven't mentioned it yet on this program, but uh, Don Lucas is a guy who walks and walks a lot. And not too long ago, he made a commitment to walk through every single HEB, the local grocery chain stores, uh, just to see that he could do it. Uh, and your point is, exercise does make a difference. Absolutely. And and one of the things that just motivate, and this is just personal, one of the things that motivates me and as far as exercise is concerned is the exercise in places that people don't normally think they should be exercising. <laughs> and it ends up being fun. It ends up being silly. And, you know, again, we could do 10 more shows and the number of people that I met because I was doing that. And again, there's some really neat aspects of happiness. And, and we, we touched on this in the last episode as well. Uh, beyond happiness is this phenomena called contentment. And ultimately, I think that's what all human beings are after. And it's this idea that I can be satisfied with what I'm doing. And what I'm doing might be as something as simple as walking in a grocery store. And it may not be any different than me playing with my grandchild or buying a brand new car. I'm just as content with all of those activities. Well, we are flat out of time, and I hate to say that. But that means we need to get you back again, maybe in a year, maybe sooner. <laughs> Don Lucas, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. And uh, for Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Stay happy, be happy, and thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com